Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Caroline, and welcome to our first Serious Thought, which is a mini-episode where we talk about something someone takes very, very seriously. Joining me for this first episode is Alex Hearn, who is a tech reporter for The Guardian, and a big fan of, drumroll, Netrunner, or technically Android Netrunner, the card game. So, Alex, what is Netrunner? (laughs) I have waited so long for someone to ask me that. (laughs) Netrunner is a living card game, a two-player asymmetric game, in which one player is a runner, a plucky hacker, and the other player is an evil megacorporation in a William Gibson-esque cyberpunk world set sometime in the future. It's never explicitly clear when, but there are clones, there are sentient robots... And everyone uses the net jacked into a fully virtual cyberspace. If you've seen films like Johnny Mnemonic, it's very much drawing on that media. And honestly, they owe William Gibson royalties. It lives off his work. Okay, so it exists in cards that Mm -hmm. you own, right? How do you get cards? Android Netrunner, as it currently exists now, is based on a game that came out in the 90s that was just called Netrunner which was designed by Richard Garfield, who created the very first collectible card game, Magic the Gathering. Magic is huge. Magic yeah, even is, I've heard yeah. of that, and I, this is not really my field of... Realistically, if you've heard of sort of this type of gaming, yeah. you've heard of Magic. It's enormous, it's much, much bigger than Netrunner. But it's also kind of crap. It's a 20-year-old game which shows its age painfully. And the other thing that Magic is, is Magic is a collectible card game. The cards are sold in small randomised booster packs. Some are common, some are rare. If you are British and under about 30, you probably remember the Pokemon trading card game, which in Britain reached heights bigger than Magic ever did and was a full-blown craze. That was the same idea. Some cards were shiny and super rare and Mm. super desirable. The problem with that as a game concept is it is extremely exploitative. Especially if you're a kid. Yeah, because you're just spending all your pocket money on sealed packs that you can't see what's in them. Exactly. And what you inevitably find with games like Magic is a few super rare cards are really, really good. And if you care about winning, if you play competitively, certainly, but even if you really take it semi-seriously with friends, 
you will end up having to either buy thousands of these small randomized booster packs to get the card you want or realistically going on eBay and spending mm. I kid you not hundreds of pounds really? on an individual card the first Netrunner was that as well it never got very popular but it was revived in 2012 as what the company that make it Fantasy Flight Games call a living card game and what that means is they still sell new packs of cards so the game is constantly changing as every month 20 new cards come out but they're not randomized you just buy for £12 a set of 60 cards three copies each of 20 cards and so it means that you can kind of almost more damagingly get fully into it because for £12 a month that's it you're in it feels in its own way like a World of Warcraft subscription or you know a Sky Sports subscription you sit down you pay that money that's your outlay and then you can dive headfirst in so that's the money you pay for your hobby essentially right yeah. exactly and so once you've got your cards mm-hmm. what do you do with them so obviously you play this game and mechanically it's a fascinating game and the way I first heard about it was a number of friends who are games journalists or games developers started talking about this it rapidly became clear that it was sort of golf for their set. Okay. There were friends of mine were were meeting quite a lot more than I was seeing any of them and it turned out they were meeting and playing this game and so I was like I want in on that it's mechanically interesting because it's, it's asymmetric which is still quite rare even in sort of the cool board games that make waves in this set one player is playing a completely different game from the other the runner sits down and every card they play they play face up they install hardware they install programs on the hardware they sort of contact resources And all of those are played face up, they pay credits for them, put them face up on the table, and the other player gets to see what they're doing, what they're planning. Conversely, the corporation, almost everything they do, they do face down. And it could be anything until the runner decides to interact with it. And it means it's a game of bluffing. It's essentially, it it was specifically based on the joy of bluffing in poker. There's never a mechanically bad play in Netrunner. In other games, you can sit down and sort of do maths and work out that, oh, this card is more efficient than that. Netrunner is a game where you can have junk in your hand, but put it face down on the table and stare at the other player (laughs) and watch as they just lose because they don't take the winning point from you, which is sitting there on the table because they're terrified that you've installed a card that will kill them. Mm. It's mechanically fascinating, but also the theme and the mechanics and the world they've built mesh so perfectly. So, for instance, when you build a server, the card you put in that could represent the agendas, the things that the corporation is trying to advance to ultimately score and win the game. And those are are big projects that the corporation undertakes, like renovating Hollywood, advertising on the moon, or simply rushing out its R&D department to pull out some new anti-intruder technology. That is then defended by these intrusion counter-electronics, ICE, which are cards that represent sort of that very cyberpunk idea of physical malicious entities floating through cyberspace attacking intruders. The sort of thing that you see in Hollywood movies that try and do hacking but know that real hacking is very boring to watch. Yeah. It feels very much like, not like you are floating through cyberspace, but like you are probing gently at this malicious entity. You don't know what it is until the other player pays money to flip it face up and your character could die. You could, at any point find that what you've done is walked into a a deadly piece of software which kills your runner through the internet and you're dead. All of these cards have wonderful evocative art and one of the things I love is that the art is is actually good usually and not a generic cheesy fantasy art. They have names, they have settings which mean that they are more than just generalities. They conjure specific locales and specific individuals. So, for instance, the pack picture I have in front of me, it's called 
Democracy and Dogma, it brings the world of Netrunner to Mumbad, which is the Indian megalopolis at the time the game is set. It introduces a new runner called Nero Seven, who is an Oxford-educated information broker who's based in the city and runs a club called Chinamasta, set 10 stories below the teeming streets of Mumbad. And in it, there is a piece of software called uh, Sadyoyata, which is the first of a diva suite of icebreakers, which can be swapped with other diva programs from your grip. The point isn't what it does, because obviously most of those words are technical and utterly meaningless yeah, to anyone who doesn't play Netrunner. Know what you meant by that. But the point is that Netrunner now, this month, actually this half of the year, is building its world in India, building what the Indian Union looks like mm. in the year 2095 and doing so not through just stories and text and the way that you would sit down and build a world but doing it by a card that's labeled political graffiti with just an image of some political graffiti on it and the text that tells you that what this card does is let you raid through the corporation's trash pile and then give them an anti-agenda give them sort of negative publicity i see yeah and it's telling it through the story of the introduction of a spy camera which is again represented with art of nero seven the character who's just introduced holding a small piece of hardware and sticking a spy camera to a wall and it's just sort of this is the way technology is infiltrating the Union in this time. So are you good at Netrunner? <laughs> this is not a judgy question because you wrote a very popular piece for The Guardian about how you are not that good at Hearthstone, which is another sort of card-based <laughs> game. Obviously you get an enormous amount of enjoyment out of it, but are you good at playing it? I am awful. Really? I interesting. I mean, some of it is about me. I find it hard to really take competitive games seriously. Mm. I often have more fun having fun than trying to win. And so I, I, I just don't care enough mm. if there's a, a funny play or a, a risky play. I will always take that rather than play it safe and try and, you know, minimize my losses, maximize my chances of winning. But it's also, it's a hard game. The very first time I went to a tournament, the winner was a former professional poker player. Right, so the bluffing the, yeah, thing is the so Yeah, the same important. sort of skills yeah. work. And like poker, the bluffing thing is important, but just as important is having that knowledge of when you've got the edge that you can push with a bluff. One of my problems is I love bluffing. So I'm the sort of person who will take three cards, put them face down and dare the runner to run them. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. If they do and they pick well, I lose. And, <laughs> and I, I was always going to lose because it's not really a bluff. It's a, it's a gamble. It's a shell game. But it's fun. And it's, it's something that you don't often get to do in card games, in board games. Bluffs that simple, that straightforward aren't often there and that's fun but no i am i'm very bad at it but obviously this is no impediment to your enjoyment of the world no not at all i mean it's partially just cyberpunk's an odd world steampunk which mm. kind of came after and is named after it has these diehard adherents there are steampunk cosplay conventions it is sort of recognized as a genre in its own right cyberpunk sort of has adherents in the sort of cyber goth world mm. But it kind of rapidly fell out of favour. I think as the utopianism of tech rose throughout the last 20 years or so, but also now our tech dystopias are different. It's a retro-futurist thing right now. Yeah. Cyberpunk is what the future looked like in the 80s. Now the future is very different. And so you have to be a bit weird to write cyberpunk fiction. But at the same time, it's such a wonderfully evocative world. The shorthand I use for why I like it is that cyberpunk is fiction about what happens 
when technology solves all our problems, but we still have capitalism. And Netrunner is a world where there are sentient androids which will do all labor that you want. Computer programs can handle all white collar work, but there's capitalism. So there's still slums. There's still, there are then extra issues like battles over whether or not clones should be granted suffrage. But one of my favorite things about Netrunner is that way back in the core set, one of the most basic cards in the game, which is in almost every corp deck, is a card which lets you pay five credits and get nine. It's an economy engine. Mm. It lets you build up the economy of your deck. And it's not like, you know, manufacturing credits out of the ether. The card is called Hedge Fund. And it's just... I see. It's it, finance. Yeah. In this world, with clones, with sentient computers, with androids, with AIs, the most efficient archetypal way of taking money and turning it into more money is still running a hedge fund and that kind of to me is the the essence of cyberpunk that like it's this magical world where bad guys are just the same as they are now and the bad things are the same as they are now and that's the problem you called it a living card game it seems just from the little bit of looking i've done that the company that produces the game seems very up for people adding to the world themselves people write fic for it you run a net runner blog where you write about cards you like Mm-hmm. It's a tricky one. The world it's set is actually a sort of transmedia property for them. Okay. It's the Android world. There's, I think now, three board games that are set in this world. Three novels. A friend of mine, Lee Alexander, is bringing out a novella set in the world in a couple of months. It's, it's a big thing for them. And so they're not quite, you know, open to fans just making their own stuff. As, you know, fans of Star Trek have learned, as fans of Star Wars have learned, I'm sure if you went out and shot a Netrunner film, they would still do that corporate thing of going, ah, actually, you can't do that. At the same time, they know that they have a fertile world and they try to encourage fans connecting with it as fans. They lost a lot of goodwill a year or so back when they sent a cease and desist letter to a website that was building a database of cards so that you can sort of build your own decks online. Like like a wiki type thing. Yeah, Yeah. and it was called NetrunnerDB and they sent a cease and desist and it was actually a, a spectacularly bad decision on their part because it meant that everyone who was building off this property as a fan in a way that helped the community started getting a bit worried about right whether or not they would be next. I think they stepped back from that, but I still, I like what they've made and they are a company I trust to shepherd the game, but I'm not sure I'd go so far as to say they are open to external contributions, which is sad, but I think that's the way it happens when you make something like this these days. I wouldn't expect more from them and maybe that's a depressing state of, well, it's a very cyberpunk state of affairs. Yeah, I was going to say, this all seems quite consistent with the world you've described. Say a listener listening to this wants to get into Netrunner, where do they start? (laughs) These days, and this is actually the sort of thing that Fantasy Flight Games would hate me to say, these days there is a very good unofficial online client called Jinteki.net, which is named after one of the four corporations in the game. And it means that I don't really have to say what they would like me to say, which is go out, spend £25 on a core set, find another person to learn with Mm. or a playgroup in your area to go along to and build your first decks there and play. Don't do that. Go on Jinteki.net, find someone else who doesn't have to be near you at all, who is happy to walk you through the ropes and will give you a digital deck to play. Play a few games there, see if you get the idea and like it. And if you do, go out and buy this core set. In London, there are two groups. One meets every Tuesday after work in a pub. One meets every Thursday after work in a board game shop. Most other big British cities have at least one group. Almost every American city has more than one. It's a big-ish scene. 
It's not like Magic the Gathering where you can arrive in a town with a game shop and know that on Friday night there will be people playing Magic. You have to hunt a bit to find the people who play it. But it feels up there with any sort of smallish sport in the widespread nature of groups who play it. And it's fun and it's a welcoming community as well. I say that as a white man who would likely be welcomed in any geek community... But it does feel more than I've heard about pickup games of Magic, more than I've heard about pickup games of Dungeons and Dragons. I've heard not many stories about women turning up to events and being looked down on, about people of colour turning up to events and being ostracised. It seems welcoming based on what I know. Thanks very much to Alex Hearn for joining me for the first Serious Thought. If you'd like to find out more about Netrunner and about Alex, he's on Twitter at Alex Hearn, and his irregularly updated Netrunner blog can be found at thenetrunnerproject.tumblr.com. Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes review as it helps other people find the show. We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and that they should be listening to it too. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.